as offensive tackle, I wouldn't entertain moving down from seven. Like, I would make sure that I get one of Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, or Romo Dunze. Right. If you're that in on wide receiver, I wouldn't move down. Welcome into the final edition of the Hot Read Podcast live from the 2024 NFL Combine. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I am joined on this Saturday by producer JT. You can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, we just watched some fellas fly on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. How are you? I'm tired, but excited <laughs> because we just we got to see a lot of action out there. It's also a Saturday, and you know, looking at looking at it right now, what are what are people doing? It's a it's an early Saturday evening, and mm-hmm. they're here watching combine content. Right? Like, what 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 are, what, what are we doing here? The NFL's king. Um, We're all NFL's sick in the king, head. Thank you for being here yeah, with absolutely. us on our last episode. But yeah, we just uh, wrapped up. We literally set the show for five thirty Central, and then uh, Xavier Worthy came out. And we had to stay for that because we were packed we up, ready to go. History. And it's so, like, okay, well, um, guess we got to stay. The show so, yeah. can wait a little bit. Xavier Worthy, of course, just moments ago broke the combine record for fastest 40 time, 4 to 1, breaking John Ross's record. Whether or not that's going to make him a good NFL receiver is something we'll talk about a little bit later today. But we've got a great show for you today. We saved the best for last. We're talking offensive linemen after they were at the podiums this morning. I was not there for that because I woke up. With my throat on fire, I was sick. I felt horrible. Producer JT, being the uh, trooper that he is, put on J in JT stood for journalism today. Big J Journo JT went to the uh, the meetings this morning, spoke to a ton of linemen, got all that content for you. So essentially the first 15, 20 minutes of today's show, I'm going to be interviewing JT about what exactly he saw and heard, what his thoughts were on some of these guys that may be future Tennessee Titans. Then we've got some clips from our interview yesterday with Trevor Sikama, the head of draft content over at PFF, a phenomenal conversation with him on some draft philosophy, what he would do at number seven for the Titans, whether that is wide receiver or looking at the tackle position and talking about some tackles later on in the draft, not named Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu, uh, who we learned today. That is officially how you say his name, Fashanu or Fashanu. Is it Fashanu or Fashanu? Fashanu, uh, I think. Fashanu. So yes. like fashion. Ooh, okay, that's easy. That's all you got to remember. It's just, it's like fashion. Um, Fashionu, not Fashanu, not Fashanu, Fashanu. Um, there are other guys not named those those two fellas uh, in the draft. And the Titans do go playmaker at number seven. They are probably going to be in the market for some tackle help later on in the draft. And we talked through with Trevor some guys that may be available in round two and later on. And then finally, we'll get to some of the testing numbers and results from today's athletic testing at Lucas Oil Stadium here in Indianapolis, where we just were some thoughts on what we saw and heard and what was the main event for athletic testing. You got the quarterbacks out there, the wide receivers out there. It's easily the most attended by the public. It's actually a pretty surprising atmosphere of fans in attendance, and it's a good time. And we saw some guys that certainly you would assume at least one or two of these fellas is going to be in two-toned blue next year. So a lot to cover today. Before we dive into all of it, do us a couple of favors. First of all, if you're with us live, thank you very much for being here on a Saturday. We appreciate you. Two quick things you can do for us. One, if you're watching on Twitter or on Facebook, head on over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. It's Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Find this live stream. And in the comment section of that live stream is where you can be a part of today's conversation like Kenneth and Sean and Derek already are. Appreciate 
you guys being here. Sean asking if JT's back hurts. I'd imagine it does. He carried me today. There is no doubt about it. And, uh, and he, Kenneth, yes, we did. We, we, what was we the question said, from Kenneth? He said, did you witness history? We did. We did. And uh, you were the one this week. If there's anything I learned from the NFL Combine experience this week, mm-hmm. it's how to ride a lime scooter and, and how effective <laughs> yes. it is. And so that's what we did. We 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 rode lime scooters back from Our Airbnb is uh, probably a mile, mile and a half yeah. away from Lucas Oil. We got here in like seven minutes yep. because we just zipped on over here because we had to because we were running late. Um, okay, so uh, make sure you're watching on YouTube. And then while you're there, hit subscribe for us. It is very easy to subscribe. Just hit it. That's the button right underneath the video. It's free to you. It's very helpful to us. Thank you for doing that. We're trying to get that subscriber count up as much as possible. And then send the link to a buddy. Hit like, hit retweet, whatever you can do to help us promote this live product. Get as many live eyeballs on it as possible would be very appreciated as well. All right, JT, let's dive into uh, my interview of you, of what you saw and heard this morning from the offensive lineman. You want to start with the two top guys that will be likely top 10, maybe top 15 picks. Uh, Ola Fashanu and, uh, and and Joe Alt, you heard from both of them this morning, maybe compare and contrast what those two guys had to say you came to me when we finally met up today and after i drug myself up on advil and then felt a little bit better and you said man at the titans draft joe alt it is going to be just the saltine cracker blandest personality right there on that left side with peter skaronsky and joe alt is he just a peter skaronsky personality clone i mean it, it can be taken that way they're the two top offensive linemen to at the time they were the two offensive tackles of the big 10 and you're kind of getting the same cookie cutter mold of tackle or not big 10 but like in that area the midwest right, right the midwest the midwestern olu is the one who was the actual big 10 tackle of the year yes. so all three of them are connected uh, in that way yeah but if you're looking for a midwestern white boy tackle who's gonna <laughs> uh and, and it's not just my opinion of that sure everyone uh, all of Titans media was like, well, we're not, if, if the Titans, if the Titans were to draft Joe Alt, don't expect any big hits from him from interviews for <laughs> the sure. offensive line performance stock is up, but the quotes stock is way is. down. It, it, and that's not something that's not a knock on him. He's just, it, he brings an aura of preparedness that you sure. basically, when you talk to him, you're basically already talking to an NFL player. It, it's, it's not trying to unpack the layers of this player and meet the, the kind of guy that he can be at the next level. He's been preparing for this for a long time. You don't we feel like that. you're talking to a kid. Exactly. You feel like you're and talking to a veteran. I think the biggest, the most interesting thing was um, kind of just talking about how he transitioned from uh, being a tight end early in his football playing career, that athleticism that he was able to continue uh, to keep, as he said, his body grew as he kept getting bigger. Um, and <laughs> kind so of forced into that position he, a little he was, bit, he right? Was forced into it. He knew that's where he belonged. Um, so just kind of using that versatility there in the athleticism that he took from being a tight end. Um, he's a really competitive uh, Uno player. He loves to play <laughs> Uno, apparently. Awesome. That's um, so great I, to know. I, you know okay. I, maybe down the line, if, if he is a Titan, we'll have to get his official rule set. I'll uh, challenge of, him of to a, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Can you um, stack plus twos? Can you stack so, plus fours? So Joe, that, Joe we go says this? that he was under the assumption that you could. I but think just you should be able found to found out that that is not how that well, works. Well, the Uno big, Apparently, big Uno doesn't want, Uno doesn't want you doing it, but exactly. we appreciate the game. We'll take the rules from here is my approach yeah, to exactly. it. Exactly. Um, I mean, he's just all a stand up guy. He's a stand up player. Um, you're not getting an eccentric personality. Like you don't like with Peter Skaronsky, you, mm-hmm. you didn't get an eccentric. You're not getting Taylor Lewan at the left tackle exactly. position. If the Titans were to draft him, it's so funny. You bring up that Midwestern ethos that, 
um, veteran presence that he seems to have. It, it, it reminds me, honestly, of draft night last year on Thursday night. The Titans draft Peter Skaronsky at 11, and the, the, the camera pans to him in a pizza parlor in the middle of the Midwest somewhere in Chicago, I think, where, yeah, where he's from in Chicago, like hugging his friends and family, the least ritzy draft party of a top 15 pick that we saw all night like that. That seems to line up entirely. Um, and then with with Fashanu, um, he seemed a little bit more animated in his responses, but was it kind of a lot of the same from him? It, you could tell that he he's a smart guy. And not to say Joe Alt isn't a smart guy. Big just, dumb oaf, yeah. <laughs> not to say that he isn't smart. Just what Olu brings is a lot more intention in his answers that he gave us today, uh, kind of breaking things down for you as you went. Uh, in your questions and, and you can just tell that he's a very smart football wise and he uses that to his advantage uh, another interesting thing which the media as he was answering questions kind of kind of took it away and just kind of ran with this thing mm-hmm. he went to high school with caleb williams okay. which was very interesting yeah. and of course do you know where in the country that is uh, washington well, I, I guess they're washington kids right because caleb williams is a washington I, kid. somewhere on the west coast I, on I the west that. coast okay just kidding uh yeah I, okay i think I'm not actually sure. I think it's Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking two. about. I think that they're um, Washington kids, but, but I could be wrong. He was um, just talking about that. Not a lot of answers there. I just thought that was pretty interesting. Sure. But it, he has some interesting answers to how his big thing is that his how he's being described uh, lately in this draft is that it's the athletic upside that he can bring. Right. And he kind of kind of challenged that today, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Just saying that he, he is more than just that high athleticism because he lets, he lets the the tape kind of show for itself that Mm -hmm. he can compete and be consistent at a high level. And it's not just something that you have to tap into, but the the techniques already there. He's not this raw athletic product. Um, And so with, with a guy like him, if the Titans were to bring him in, I, it's so weird, right? Because you know what you're, it's kind of like, he's the one that you don't know what you're getting. And it feels like, I don't know if you get this way, but like if the Titans, if Joe Alt, if the wide receivers are gone and Joe Alt and Olu are there mm-hmm. at, at seven and they would take Olu over Alt, I understand it, but you feel kind of a little bit empty inside still because you're missing that. I, I How much of that is, an, is. is narrative driven though? That's, that's my question is it, we, we fall into this trap of the household name, the guy that's talked about as this is clearly the tackle one in the class, whether or not you want to form your own opinion on that or not, you, you know, it, it takes, it takes a mental rewiring a little bit to be like, I'm very happy with this guy. And, and he may very well be the guy that I prefer here. Um, Derek in the comments says now pronounces first name, uh, Olamuyua? I, I, Olamuyua, I think. Be honest, so, Olamuyua? I, was, I think he's my best guess. To, I was tuned out to his first name, focusing on the second part Olu. of, of Olu his is last name. Right. We're sticking with uh, Olu. But he did say, he said it and then said, but I go by Olu. I always go by Olu. Everyone Perfect, because that's what so, we're calling him, whether uh, he likes what, it or not, unfortunately. Him for sure. um, can we move on from those two guys? Because you spoke to some other guys that may very well be on the Titans. I would imagine they are on the Titans radar, may very well be future Titans. And the first one I, I found fascinating just because of the connection. Um, Scott Fook. Uh, Fooks. Fooks. Like, it's like, like books. Fooks. You could say it. F-U-C-H. There are multiple. There are, more, there are better ways to say You could say, say it, it like Fuchs. Fukes. There's, there's obviously there's the, the profane way of saying the word, uh, which uh, is but funny, is, but I don't think it's correct. It's but, Fooks. Uh, so I went with I went with Fooks today, and the guy we're about to talk to uh, from Kansas said it back to me that way. So that okay. kind of 
confirmed. So it's like Nor it's like Norfolk, Virginia, kind yes. of in that way. Um, let's just let's roll with that until he Scott himself corrects yes. us. But Scott Fuchs is a guy that is now on the Titan staff as the assistant offensive line coach, has I think 30 plus years of experience mm -hmm. at the college level coming from Kansas, where he has a really phenomenal track record with the offensive line program over there with Kansas football, never coached at the NFL level. And so Brian or Bill Callahan, Brian Callahan brought in Scott Fuchs for his father, Bill Callahan, the Titans offensive line coach. There we go. Um, and those two guys are tag teaming what is a very strong attempt to revitalize the offensive line brand in the Tennessee Titans uh, organization, which it obviously desperately needs. And, and Dominic Pooney is a guy that is in this class is I believe primarily a center is his main role or so is he, he played, got center he guard played, versatility? He played tackle in, uh, I believe he played tackle in college. Sure. However, uh, as we saw today, kind of teams roll out uh, for tomorrow. They, they always request to see if you want to, to ha maybe have you play and do drills for a different position. Right. Um, and Pooney was one of those guys who uh, a lot of teams requested to be maybe looked at for center. center. So, okay. um, but he, he also answered that question that sure. he has a lot of versatility is fine playing wherever on the line. He's a really interesting one who I believe would be there uh, early day three. Mm -hmm. So around that, uh, that, I'll double check Maybe on that. Maybe a hundred range or somewhere around mm -hmm. that. He would be if the Titans were to kind of go as we've talked about all week. If, if they were to get a, a absolute stud wide receiver with the first overall pick, or their first overall pick, and, and then go best player available with. Maybe like a Chop Robinson if he's there, a Darius right. Robinson, a, a uh, Kamari Lassiter in the second round. You could find value in, in a Dominic Pooney uh, later in the draft if you want to maybe try to uh, bridge the gap between um, the the left tackle position right now with maybe some free agency. Right, and he's number eighty-seven on the consensus board right now. Which you know, a day three guy potentially he slips into that early day four range where the Titans will be picking right now. Round three um, or round four. What did I just say? There's no day four of the draft. Day, I said day four. Yeah, day four is uh, UDFA day. You, that's, <laughs> you don't want to be on day four. Round four. Yes, absolutely. And so um, he's somebody to keep on your radar, uh, not just as a talented player, but again, because of that connection. And I want to talk to that connection real quick. Sure. Because I think there is a little bit more to this that uh, I think, um, and Puni was gracious enough to continue um to talk to that, I, I asked him about how his experience with Fuchs over the time. Scott Fuchs is a guy who kind of turned that Kansas team around and made them one of the best running teams in the Big 12 right. through that offensive well, line. Well, Kansas I, football had been horrendous forever, yep. and Fuchs was a big part of them being surprisingly good and entertaining the past yep. couple of years. And, and so I, I asked him, and you know, Pooney said that he's been a tremendous help to, to his game and just kind of through watching tape and, and technique and things like that. And so then I continued up and I'm like, well, you know, now he, he said with full confidence, he has no uh, questions about his ability to translate his coaching in his skills to the NFL level mm -hmm. in, in a coaching room. And I continued that question with, you know, he's going to maybe coach with one of the best, if not the best uh, offensive line coaches ever um, just talk a little bit about that and how those two will work together. And Pooney gave me an answer that he said, they're just in, in the realm of, it wasn't exactly like this, but it's a full force multiplier. And he, I think right. he noted that um, Pooney and Bill would have are have, and are still very close friends um, and talk a lot through the season as well. Sure. So I, and this is all speculation. I'm not reporting anything like this, but you do have to wonder if, 
by bringing in Fuchs here, um, who is a little younger than Bill Callahan. Could it be sure. potentially setting up for post Bill Callahan? A hundred percent. Yes. Um, Grooming so him to that, be that guy. I think that's a really interesting thing. And yep. Uh, the Titans may already have their their life after Bill Callahan on the roster here. Now, if the Titans go tackle in the second round because they go with a receiver in the first round, for example, um, at that 38 overall pick, there are a couple of guys that are um, commonly mocked to be available right there. Um, guys that are talented enough in other drafts potentially to be first round picks, but because of the depth at the top of this tackle class pushed out just a hair to the benefit of teams like the Titans that could really use one. One of those guys is Patrick Paul, who we saw at the Senior Bowl a couple of weeks ago. You spoke to him this morning about what makes him stand out from the rest of the field. What was your impression of Paul during his interview? Big size. like <laughs> Big he, fella. He is a sure. big fella. Uh, his arm length is just what kind of sets him apart. And we've been talking about this the entire time since we started kind of covering this class when we saw him at the uh, the senior bowl, mm-hmm. same thing. He he has that arm length that allows him to anchor very, very well. And I think that's a really interesting idea there. If if you do go wide receiver, I think that if there was a guy that you wanted, to, there's, there's two guys I think that uh, I, I would really start looking at as the two guys that I would prefer to take uh, in, in the, in the second round there. Mm-hmm. If you're looking tackle in the second round, Patrick Paul is one of them. And another one that I talked to today that we'll get to Kingsley Suamatea right. is another one who I think um, just they're, they're kind of two different uh, kind of flavors, flavors there right. where Patrick Paul is, is the long lanky guy who mm-hmm. is um, kind of banking on that. And Kingsley Suamatea, uh, I believe he's out of BYU. 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 Yep, BYU. Um, I get him mixed up with that one in, in the Yale prospect. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but out of BYU who kind of uh, currently, relies on raw athleticism in his game. And I think that's two different flavors that would be really interesting sure. to for Scott Fuchs and, and also uh, Bill Callahan to get their hands on. When you talked to Kingsley Suamatea out of BYU, you said that he was compared to a dancing bear. I need you to explain what exactly that was about. So there, there are two guys that I talked to today that just charisma is off the charts here. Big Riz guys. Kingsley Suamatea is one of those. Okay. My favorite little, <laughs> little nugget about Kingsley Suamatea he was asked, like, you know, these 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 media availabilities go on for about fifteen to twenty minutes, right? right. So you get in, you get in about twenty-ish questions mm-hmm. there. Every Are question, birds real? Did you meet with the Houston Texans? Yes, right, um, that's most of what it is. Yeah. So everyone would ask him a question, and his the first thing out of his mouth. You know how in, in this kind of business you're trying to always get rid of the ums and uhs, sure. and, and that's like Filler what words. you start with in in at the start of your sentences. Uh-huh. Kingsley starts every single answer with "Oh shoot!" He's oh, like, shoot. "Oh shoot!" Uh, I love that. <laughs> so That's, every 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 time he that would flies answer, in Tennessee. I'm uh, I'm familiar with some real. folks that are just like that as well. So back like home, you would yeah. you would ask him about his game, or oh, and he'd be like, "Oh shoot!" You know this and this, and then you ask him about this. <laughs> I, I didn't ask this question, but I thought it was the best question to ask him. Uh, he's, he's a I believe um, I, I forget her name, but she does reporting with the San Francisco 49ers. She asked um, a, a scout has. Like like I like I said in my tweet, compared him to a dancing grizzly bear, and he goes, "Oh shoot, yeah, that's me because he loves to dance." And, and he said, "Anytime I'm at home and music's on, I'm dancing in my kitchen. I'm dancing in the house." So I mean, he's got that raw athleticism and that that movement ability that is kind of a rare thing to find in a player, especially how he uh, translates it to his game. So I think he was one of my favorite guys uh, that I talked to today. Another one that I that 
really isn't realistic for the Titans, but I, I mean, it between him and then also Jackson Powers Johnson out, out of um, out of Oregon, right? Two two of the more uh, charismatic guys mm-hmm. that I that I talked to today. He um, this has no relevance to anything whatsoever. Okay. But apparently, he has in Oregon. There is a there, there's a tap house and brewery mm-hmm. that named a sandwich after him, which okay. is a double cheeseburger with uh, I believe he said on it was bacon, uh, pulled pork queso and mac and cheese oh oh you're and making me i mean fin- it's, it's dinner time here time. i'm, I'm yeah. dying now thanks a lot for that but that sounds delicious yeah but um, he, he's a character and he's gonna go in that 15 to 25 range and wherever he goes i think he's a plug and play day one starter at the center position absolutely um so just for reference for folks those two tackles we just talked about patrick paul kingsley sumatea uh, sumatea is 42nd overall on the consensus board patrick paul at 50 Let's talk about one last guy before we get to the interview with Trevor Sykema. You spoke to Amarius Mims today out of Georgia, a really, really fascinating tackle prospect because he's the kind of guy, if he had gone back to school this upcoming season, I'd be pretty confident he'd be the favorite to be the tackle one in next year's class. He has everything you're looking for from size to traits to movement ability. It's all there. What he's lacking is track record. He's played in eight games in college. And so it's a really difficult evaluation from that standpoint. You just don't have a ton of snaps on paper of live reps. So he's going to go somewhere in the first round we're expecting. Currently on the consensus board, he's 23rd overall. And he's somebody that I think where he ends up going ultimately is really volatile because of the fact that you can absolutely see a team convincing themselves. I don't care. This guy's got the stuff. Eight games is enough for me. We will take him high, and we think he's going to be the best tackle in this class. And, and the, some teams may say, we are not touching that with a 10-foot pole. It's just not proven. And I think if you are a team that is higher on him and is going to take that chance, he answered that today. It was a question that was asked because that was the question to ask him. And his answer is it's he feels like he's ready because of the school he played at, at Georgia. Because really? he yeah. transferred there and just through his throughout his time – uh, uh, shorter than most time at Georgia. Sure. He's playing against some of the, the greatest pass rushers and edge rushers that have come out of college in the past couple of years. You look right. at Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Nolan Smith, Devontae Wyatt, guys like that, mm-hmm. um, that you're going up against every day in pra- in and out of practice. And then also just playing at such a high level um, in the SEC. I think that if there was a player who was uh, going to be able to succeed at the next level like right. that. Um, you'd have to play at Georgia and you'd have to be a guy like Amarius Mims. The last thing I'll say about him is that when we're just talking about size of players today that I found very interesting, it goes Patrick Paul. And then also Amarius Mims is not much shorter than, than he is. No, I believe no. um, there is tweets out there. I think the most notable one that started a, a very interesting conversation today on Twitter about the height of sports journalists and things <laughs> what compared uh, Amarius Mims. And, and unfortunately, w- without him noticing a certain Titans media member was the comparison. Wasn't the bias, right? It, it yeah. was. Okay, it was. Yeah. So that kind of started this thing today on Twitter. But I mean, he is just a mountain of a man. He is. I, it's, it's really unfair to the bias or anybody else standing in that photo. I know I, if, if I, if I've been standing, we don't look just as silly. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things where you you go back and you find high school footage of Amarius Mims, and I've I've found some of this. He looks 
like a high like a high school senior playing on the middle school JV team. It's just really, really silly how big a difference um, there was. And Cody in the comments asking, did Kieran Amagaji, I believe is his name, participate today? He did. I don't believe you spoke with him. but Mostly because Joel was going at the same time. Fair so. enough. Cody, lucky for you, though, we did touch on Kieran uh, as a prospect that uh, we, we mentioned in the interview we're about to listen to as a possible day two, day three guy that could play inside or outside so jt thank you uh for your insight on that that was fantastic if you guys are still with us or if you're just joining us make sure you're subscribed at broadway sports media's youtube page and without further ado let's get to some clips jt um we spoke to trevor sikama head of pff draft i don't think his official title i really should he's get the this down senior draft, analyst. senior draft analyst thank yeah. you there we go he's the draft guy right at pff um so he knows what he's talking about and he's watched these guys he was kind enough to sit down with us yesterday here at the combine and we asked him a couple of questions we've got three clips real quick to share with you the first of which uh involves a little bit of a philosophy question the titans of course need a lot of help at a lot of positions this year, and they don't have a ton of draft picks. Eight picks, not bad on paper, but when three of them are in the seventh round and you're lacking a third-round pick, you got to pick and choose your spots unless you choose to liquidate one of those picks and move down in the draft, get some more throws at the dartboard. I asked Trevor about the philosophy surrounding the choice for a team like this Titans team who needs a lot of help, whether or not they should move or stick and pick a player. Here's what he had to say. All right, here with Trevor Sikama, uh, lead draft analyst for PFF. Trevor, thank you for sitting down with us. First question, we're going to kind of scattershot it, talking mostly about the Titans, but the first is a draft philosophy question. When a team like the Titans needs so many pieces at so many different positions and you're in a top 10 pick situation, what do you value more in terms of getting a can't-miss guy, cornerstone piece, versus potentially liquidating, getting more dart throws later on in the draft? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a question that will exist every year for so many different teams. You know, I think the teams that are selecting the top half of the draft, particularly in the top ten, most of them have a lot more than just one hole to fill. Sometimes it's just quarterback, and the reason why you're so bad is because you don't have that quarterback spot figured out. But for a lot of other teams, it does come down to a lot of different holes. It can be playmakers, it can be trenches, things like that. And Tennessee's Definitely, specifically in a situation where I think that they need help in a lot of different areas. So I could see the allurement of, hey, let's trade back a little bit here. But as much as this is kind of like a cop-out answer, it just depends what the price is. You mm-hmm. always want to have the phones open and you always want to be willing to hear what somebody's willing to give you because you never know. There might be a deal that you just go, okay, that's way better than the player that we're going to get at seven or whatever it is. Right. But, you know, it, it's the most, the way that I say it is this the most important part about the NFL draft is picking good football players. The better odds that you have to get good football players come, the higher in the draft order that you are. And, I mean, there are still guys that go number one overall that bust. But a lot of the great players in the league that stick around a long time that are franchise cornerstone guys, they traditionally come within that first round. And the higher you get, the better chance that you have. So um, that is the main name of the game. But there is that little mini game of, like, what Arizona Cardinals did last year. They were sitting at number three. They had Paris Johnson Jr. probably as the guy that they were going to take anyways. Mm -hmm. They get to number three. He's on the board. They have the opportunity to go from 3 to 12, then 12 back up to 6, and they get the guy that they would have got a 3 all along, and they get an extra first-round pick out of it. Right. That's the dream. It doesn't often work out like that. And so if you can guarantee me a situation where a team's getting a future first-round pick and the player that they wanted all along, sure, it's great. But there's no doubt about it that any time that you throw in risk, he gets a little dangerous. The next question we had for Trevor was 
if the Titans don't go tackle in round one or shoot, if they want two tackles at the top of this draft and early day two pick 38 overall, they're looking for a tackle. Kingsley Suamatea, Patrick Paul, two guys we've talked about. He introduces a third name. Let's listen to what he had to say on those guys. It may be a matter of taking receiver at the first round and, and going with a tackle in the second, early in the second. Are any of those guys that are in that kind of range, you know, Patrick Paul, Kingsley Suamatea, do any of those guys stand out to you as potential value picks early in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sue Matia is is one of those guys who I liked more than I thought that I was going to on tape. When okay. I first initially watched him, I was like, man, I, I get it. Former five-star moves very, very well. Yes. But he just didn't really – like, he was – him and Tyler Guyton kind of have the same problem. They're both incredible athletes. They don't, they don't really block. They kind of just – push yeah, just, you know, yeah so they uh-huh, just like yeah. they, they just shove a mm-hmm. lot and it's like man if you're going to succeed at the nfl level you got to get your hands at the right spot you got to get it underneath you got to get it with leverage you and you've got to be able to maintain blocks mm-hmm. and these guys just don't do it a lot on their tape right now sure but they're young they're athletic i think that they are learning to be able to do that so um he is somebody who's very intriguing to me who has that i think offensive tackle type of a ceiling another guy that i'm really intrigued on here is, is uh kieran amagashi the okay. offensive tackle from yale yeah um yeah. and he's somebody who Played a little bit of guard, played a little bit of left tackle. He's so much better than his competition on his tape at right. the Ivy it's League so level hard to tell. that it's really yeah, hard yeah. to tell because he's just he's very clearly a future NFLer playing at the Ivy League Ivy level. League, yeah. You just go, okay, what kind of an NFL player are you? He he's somebody who I might like better at guard, but his pass protection abilities at at tackle were so good over the last two mm-hmm. years, I'd almost let him fail a tackle before I put him at guard. So okay. he's somebody who maybe a similar situation to how we viewed Peter Skaronsky last year. And I know that they kicked Skaronsky inside immediately. Mm-hmm. I might have given him that chance at tackle instead of just kicking him inside. But, like, those are two players who... I've only been saying two. that since they did it. Thank so. you. I'm uh, glad somebody... All right, I didn't want to... If you were on the other side of things, no. I didn't want to be too abrasive no. on your own show. But, uh, no. yeah, I would have I put him into offensive tackle first. But... <clears throat> Interesting. That last part was, you know, the... the the important part was the beginning of the video, but the end of it was just, I think, a little food for thought. I, I uh, A little vindication, maybe? Zach Lyons over at Football Nightmare okay. first just planned. It was not planned. It was not planned. You can see, you can tell on my face that that is unbridled, unadulterated joy and surprise uh, as to as to that vindication. Uh, we, that, may have, we may never know. Maybe that we're is never going to. No, I'm only, it it's is. Hot, it might be the hot read moon landing. I, it's, it's, I'm only halfway still on this train i've mostly given up uh because he's never going to play a tackle but we have one more clip from trevor to share with you guys and this is asking him like what would you do at seven right receiver tackle what what's the math there to you based on these guys that are likely to be available at seven overall here's what trevor sycama of pff had to say yeah yeah well if they go line in in the first round uh, they're in that range of is it alt is it olu um it seems like the consensus is alt is the the slightly better prospect but um if they if they were to trade back or if alt you know goes to the chargers at five and isn't there for them and they are really set on offensive line at seven how how big of a step down from alt is it to olu and are people maybe overlooking how good a prospect he is no i i don't think it's that big of a step down i really don't um i think that alt is a really rock solid offensive tackle prospect the guy that could play in this league for 10 years as long as he's healthy enough to do so i really do i don't think he's this 
can't-miss type of offensive tackle prospect. Okay. Like, he's this generational offensive tackle guy. I do have him comfortably offensive tackle one because of how high his floor is. I was about to say, he's just a really high floor. He does have a really high floor, but every time I say high floor, people go like, oh, he like that must mean he doesn't have a high ceiling. That's not what I mean. Sure. It's just that that's the part that I think you emphasize the most is I, I can't see this guy busting in, in any sort is of situation. Is there a case that Fashanu has a higher ceiling? Yeah, there is, because I, I think that when you look at Fashanu's movement skills, mm-hmm. they're extremely impressive. What he does in pass protection is very, very impressive. How he's able to move, the balance, the handwork, just the length that he can cover, the size, all that kinds of stuff is just well into Olu's advantage. And so pass protection is obviously such a major part of why you would covet a guy and draft a guy that highly in the draft. So, you know, he just, Olu needs to anchor better, needs to play with strength better, Mm -hmm. needs to not expose his chest as much as he does right now, needs to understand where to put his hands. You know, I can understand, like, he's got some low hands, it feels like, through his reps, and, um, you know, maybe that's due to the fact that he likes to, you know, shoot the hands up, you know, creating that leverage, getting inside, and, like, I understand the technique and everything, but sometimes his hands are so low that he gives away that chest, and we saw that in the Ohio State game. So, I mean, all of these offensive tackles are really great, but I'll say this, just as a, to build off of that question, if Tennessee is in on, on wide receiver, even as equally mm-hmm. as offensive tackle, I wouldn't entertain moving down from seven. Like, I would make sure that I get one of Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, or Romo Dunze. Right. If you're that in on wide receiver, mm-hmm. I wouldn't move down. For as good as I think a lot of other wide receivers are in this class, I'd get one of them at seven. There's but a significant drop On off. the flip side, right. I wouldn't have that big of an issue of moving down from seven to somewhere in the middle of the first round to still get a really good offensive lineman that okay. you're bringing in, just maybe not Joe Alt. So that's right. kind of the way that I would go about it. Pro- wouldn't be moving down if wide receivers the target. So are you seeing it, it as, as it less of a drop-off from those top two tackles to the next couple guys I think than so. from the top receivers? To yes, it. yes. And I think that the, that just is more of a compliment to how good I think those top three wide receivers are. So that was Trevor Sikama. PFF lead draft analyst. Thanks a ton to him for giving us some of his time. And thanks to Danny Kelly, who we showed a big chunk of our interview with him on the show yesterday. He is the lead draft analyst over at the ringer. Both of those guys, full interviews with questions we did not include on the show will be available on Broadway sports media's YouTube page, right where you're watching this in the next day or two, I'd say by Monday morning, they'll be available for you. And we'll make sure to post those on social media and all that good stuff. But we spoke to Trevor about Bill Callahan and what kind of impact he can have. We spoke to Danny Kelly about how he actually thinks Olu Fashanu. Fashanu, It's going to be tough. The next three months, drink every time I mess that up. And you might need to go to the hospital. Yeah. um, Olu Fashanu is a guy that he thinks may actually be the better tackle in this class than Joe Alt. And his opinion is one that I value. I think he makes some good points. All of that and more in those interviews. So check out those in full. A perfect transition to what we're going to talk about now with these offensive, or excuse me, these wide receivers who these offensive wide receivers, not to be confused with the defensive ones, uh, they they tested today at Lucas Oil Stadium. And we got a question in the comments from Kenneth who asks, is Adonai Mitchell at seven crazy town? Is it is it way too high? The short answer is yes. And Kenneth, I, I know like, I get it. It's easy today to get caught up in the the hype of the testing and the the certified freak athletes out there and just like some of these insane numbers they're putting up, it is mouthwatering to consider that kind of speed or that kind of size or that kind of power on your team in a role that you know they need. You can't let it dictate that kind of move, right? And and there's a reason why, like Trevor says there, he would not entertain moving down from seven if the Titans are most interested in a receiver because getting one of those top three guys in Marvin Harrison Jr., Roma Dunze, and Malik Neighbors 
is a is is, a, is of much import um, as to not suffer that drop off from those three guys to guys like Adnai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Troy Franklin, Xavier Leggett, um, Brian Thomas Jr. All of those guys that we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, they are good receivers, and they're going to be value. A number of those guys are going to be awesome receivers in the league. I'm sure of it just because of how talented they are and how many are going to go in the second round. And it may very well be a AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel situation from that 2019 draft where so many guys came off the board in the second and third round. And it was a a big boon to the uh, a big benefit rather to the teams that drafted them. Uh, let's talk about some of the testing numbers these guys did have and, and why, um, we, you know, we approach these testing numbers, the combine process is more of a tiebreaker exercise than it is a set your clock to what we hear and see some ties may have been broken from some of these receivers who, um, maybe, you know, were considered, you know, that bunch of, again, Brian Thomas Jr. And Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell and Troy Franklin and Xavier Leggett and Malachi, not quite Malachi Corley, uh, Ladd McConkey, like all of those guys are like, you may see eight of them go in 10 picks at the beginning of the second round. It's really not crazy. Um, and, and so the, the little things we saw today, I think they may go a long way as to who goes when and where and why. Yeah, no, I agree with you here. Um, before we start some of these guys, we actually have a lot of questions. Oh, okay. Into the chat Great. here. Uh, Derek says first, he says, I want a Dunze, but I would take the Titans finding some way to get, uh, and he prefaces or comes back and says Xavier Worthy as a consolation gotcha. prize today um, because of that combine record. And I want we'll, we'll, we'll like to push back on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, here with that, and, and I think that kind of uh, translates to who we're going to talk about first, Xavier Worthy, um, who 421, what was the official time? It is now official. Um, he is. Uh, now holds the record for um, the 40 yard in the combine. Mm -hmm. When you look at his RAS score, he has a 9.37 composite explosion grade is an elite grade here with a 41 vertical and a uh, 10, 11 broad jump. And then his composite speed grade is also elite with a perfect RAS 10 of 4.2240. Ah, 4.2140. 4 4.2140. Don't yes. short the man his record. Um, and, I mean, 10-yard split in 20-yard splits as well. 1.5 right. unofficial 10-yard splits. Absolutely crazy. So I see we have two really great questions from Gershon and our buddy Sean in, in the comments. Gershon and Sean. Uh, we're going to get to both of those. So y'all stick tight real quick, but I want to address the AD Mitchell or excuse me, the Xavier worthy conversation here, because a lot of folks are going to be mesmer mesmerized by what they saw from him today. And for good reason, because on the surface receiver run fast, seems like a good thing. Re receiver go fast. Good for a football Could team. Also say, we're not going to talk about him, but Tez Walker also falls. Also receiver run fast, but if receiver run fast, but receiver not play football, good receiver, not good at football um, is the, is the caveman way of approaching this. But from a actual data historical perspective, um, th there are two big things that I, I think you, you have to consider when it comes to Xavier worthy in particular, and it is how crazy speedy guys have fared in the NFL and how guys of his size in particular, his weight, 165 pounds, happened in the NFL. So let's start with the speed, right? Our buddy Scott Barrett over at uh, 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 Fantasy Points, he, he put together this chart of all of the fastest receiver scores at their receiver speeds, rather, at the combine since, um, I think, ever. Yeah, since the combine began. So whenever that was. Um, and the top 23 guys are on this list. JT, do you want to guess, of the top 23 fastest receivers in combine history, how many of them have 
at least one career 1,000-yard receiving season? I want to say maybe like four. Like, is there four or five? You're in, you're in the right ballpark. Uh, it's one. Just oh, one okay. guy. Okay. Cool. Uh, it was Santana Moss drafted in, uh, yeah, 2001. He had, I believe, at least, like, I think he only had one, but maybe he had a couple 1,000-yard receiving seasons. The rest, no. They, they were guys that were more track star than great NFL receivers. And not all these guys were busts, but were they first, second round, cornerstone, build an offense around this receiver type of guy? They really weren't. And so I think that points to, you know, when a guy is crazy speedy, Typically, that guy, and I don't, you know, not everybody's the same. Some people are exceptions to the rule, but it seems like the rule is if you're really, really fast, you may be more of a one trick pony than the kind of versatile receiver. Um, maybe gimmicky is the right word, kind of gadgety. The really fast guys tend to be gadgety. And if you read off some of the guys on this list, of course, we know John Ross, Henry Ruggs may very well could have been a thousand yard receiver, 1,000 yard receiver, but we'll never know that. Marquise Goodwin, Tyquan Thornton. Um, Darius Hayward Bay, Paris Campbell, Vela, old man, Vailus Jones, Curtis Samuel, Will, Will Fuller. Yeah. Andy Isabella, um, Travis Benjamin. It's, it's the kind of guys that we were crazy about this time of year and they just didn't pan out. So that's one reason to not be sold entirely because of the speed. Now, the more important thing to me, the weight. And I know the NFL is trending towards, I think a great saying, weight is not your fate. It's becoming less and less important for guys to be bulkier at the receiver position um, to these teams. Like it seems like their thresholds are lowering. And a guy like Tank Dell last year is a phenomenal example of that. Year uh, two years previous, I believe, Devonta Smith also a great example of that. Two really, really, really slender guys who have found success in the NFL. And Tank Dell is the the one that people point to most and say he was exactly 165 pounds too. Um. Yes, this is true. One, he's the exception to the rule, and I'm about to prove why. Two, he for the awesome season he had, he also didn't finish the season, right? Like he had he sustained a season-ending injury, and I don't I'm not relishing in that. I was devastated when he did because from a fantasy perspective, it kind of sucked. But it also sucked to watch such a good player go down on a really exciting team. And um, it, whether or not his injury had to do with his weight and his size, like that, I'm not gonna speculate on that. My point being just in terms of general durability, a bigger guy is important. And so there was a list floating around on Twitter today of guy. And this was arguing the opposite of what I'm arguing, that weight is not your fate. Here's a list of all the guys that are 185 pounds or lighter who since 2000, I believe have had 1000 yard receiving seasons. And I think it was like 24, 25 guys on this list. I think it's I think that list is really misrepresenting what we have here in Xavier Worthy because there's a really big difference between 185 and 165. 20 pounds goes a long way. And so I went through that list, JT, and I, I pulled all the guys that are north of 175 out. So the 175 to 185 range I pulled out and said, okay, all the receivers under 175. Xavier Worthy's 10 pounds lighter than that, but I gave him 175 as the threshold. How many 175 or or uh, lighter receivers in NFL history, uh, modern NFL history, have had 1,000-yard receiving seasons? That list of 24, 25 guys was cut to one. And that one guy was Devonta Smith, who was a Heisman winner, the definition of an exception to the rule. So 
I, I'm not saying that his weight is his fate. I'm not saying he can't be a tank Dell exception. And I can't, I'm not saying that speed can't really aid in him becoming a valuable asset to a team. But I am saying buyer beware because the two things that are most defining about him, his weight and his speed are things that I think can get you in a lot of trouble if you're an NFL team looking for a, a dynamic wide receiver to add to your team. Yeah, and summing all of that, as you said, in more caveman talk, AC720 comes in and says, receiver get injured when receiver fast and receiver <laughs> well, not think great at football. You tweeted out as we left, you said, Xavier Worthy is fast, but he will break. He will break. <laughs> he will break. And, and, and we're not hoping he does. I'm not, I hope I just, that he miraculously never gets injured. Genuinely, be, I do. We, we will both be crow on that, and we're happy to because we like when there are explosive players in the, in the league to talk about and talk yes. with. And maybe he does end up on the Titans, and that will – um, as Derek says, he's thinking with the second round pick if they go tackle in the first. Um, but he says he does respect your analysis of that side, though. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's tough to kind of consider him an exception before it happens. Right. I think. Can we get to Gershon's question? He he yeah. he says that Teron Davenport, our buddy, very high on Keon Coleman. I know I know that he is. I know that TD knows Keon pretty well. He spent some one on one time with him this week. I don't know. I'm, we, I don't think I'm giving away something I shouldn't give away. Um, it's not like works for him or anything, but he got some one-on-one time with Keon today, set something up special because TD's a pro reporter and he has a, a connect there. And so he got to know the kid and he's even more fond of the makeup of this guy. It sounds like than he was before. Keon had an interesting day. Do you want to kind of sum up for folks what his day looked like? Because it, it started a, a real bummer. And then we saw him do some actual football things and, Folks like me who are higher on Keon than you, we 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 got roped right back in. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's such a tricky slope, right? Because you start off the day with the forty-yard dash, and he comes in at four six one, which is not great. His his, his burst is fine. The, sure, the burst, the ten-yard split of the forty is fine for him. It's that long speed. It's that long speed maintaining that right. that he didn't really show it. He showed us off and on in college that mm -hmm. uh, you saw today doesn't really work, but I mean, his size and, and explosion grade, uh, he has a 38 vertical uh, 10, 10 foot or 10, seven mm -hmm. uh, broad jump here. Um, he, he has that. And you should, you see that with the gauntlet drill today right. where he, um, despite not running uh, super fast in the 40, he comes into the gauntlet drill and is the, the fastest, fastest is the fastest in that drill. And, and he's, uh, outside of the the Wonder Boy Lad McConkey is right. also the most confined and, and compact in that, which is also a big part of that drill um, in the gauntlet. So I think that there are two different sides to this. Mm -hmm. And the answer that I just I keep coming back to is I I don't know what to do with him. Anymore. It's risky, right? Let me I, I I can imagine some folks are sitting at home saying what what's what does that mean? What did all you just say mean? So let me add some context okay, to it. No, you're good. You're good. You you laid out the raw numbers. So let's add some context to it. The reason why the long speed in particular, but his speed in general, was something folks were really looking to see him um, show off today was because he's already coming in just from a tape study perspective with some separation concerns and with some contested catch concerns. Um, that's just something where he that's not a that those neither of those things are keys to his game necessarily. And so if you if you pair that with some speed, you can make up for it. But if you just if you just don't have that gear, that concerns a lot of people. So there's the that's the reason why that was concerning. As for why the the gauntlet drill, that's the drill where the receiver runs down the 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 baseline of the the yardage marker and turns back and forth, catches a ball here, catches a ball here, catches a ball here as they're running. That kind of demonstrates ability to address the ball as it's being thrown your way, 
um, and playing speed, right? You hear play speed is different from track speed. And with a guy like him, um, you know, maybe not every receiver is out there in the gauntlet drill running as fast as they can, but I think how fast they run is like a muscle memory indicator of how quickly they tend to play. And with Keon Coleman averaging the fastest speed of any of the receivers who ran the gauntlet today, as well as um, r- running the gauntlet. And who is, who's a good example of somebody that, that didn't keep their line very straight. Troy Franklin, Troy, Troy Franklin out of Oregon. Um, you know, he, you're zigzagging as you go, as, as this ball over here comes my way, I fade away from it. And then I fade back away the other way and fade back and fade back. And it's not attacking the ball. You're not, you know, you, you're not staying on course. The, the flight of the ball, as you're preparing for it, kind of bracing for impact, it changes your trajectory. That's not something teams are looking um, for in their receivers. They don't, they don't want that. They want you to be confident in your route and for the trajectory of the ball, not to affect the way that you are running it. And so that's why, again, folks, just from a numbers perspective, aren't crazy about Keon Coleman from a raw data perspective that he didn't give you a lot to hope for today, but from a, like an eye test perspective, like the, that boy, nice enjoyers like myself can't quite let go of the fact that, that boy looked nice out there a little bit. And we remember September and October when Keon Coleman was tearing it up at FSU and in doing incredible things almost every Saturday. It's ultimately in the same place as you. I I'm scared. He's, he's scary. I don't know. I still think teams are higher on him than, than, maybe the analytics community is. And I would uh, not be surprised if he's a first a late first round pick. I wouldn't be super shocked at this point though, if he falls into the second round and maybe he's even available for the Titans at 38. What I do know is this um, while he may have left it ambiguous as to whether or not he's a first or second round pick. I think there were some guys transition to Sean's question that did solidify and again like this tiebreaker thing made it much more clear who we think will and won't be a first round pick versus a second round pick and i think that takes us to ad mitchell who had a really nice day of testing and it sounds like every single mock draft Monday mock you read coming up in a couple of days is going to include an ad mitchell in the 20s yeah I, I, as we're talking about him as well i mean he uh i believe was he top 10 out of all of the receivers ever. I believe he was 10th, uh, uh, 10th best RAS score out of 3060 some odd receivers. And yeah, history, I mean, so. he, he is living Not up bad. to those. He's living up to those comps of CD lamb. Like the, those, right. those comps you can see in his play today. Um, he, he was one of those guys who I think, um, interesting, interestingly enough in his three cone drill, um, he was having a hard time with that because it, it's just one that's so hard to to do and, and keep your traction it, 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 to keep the traction, especially right. on this Indianapolis turf. Um, the, the best turf in the land. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the way he was extending his strides in that was something that mm-hmm. I caught that no other person who was doing that drill uh, was really able to replicate. And I think that's a big part of his game that I think is really interesting. Uh, I know you have some of the numbers up on him as well. Right, so just some context on his on his size. And if you could find the RAS score final for me, I'd love to read that out as well. Uh, 6'2 and a quarter, 205 pounds, 11 foot four broad jump, 39 and a half inch vertical. 997. 997 uh, overall RAS. on the RAS. And so he ran a 435 unofficial 40 yard dash. So he can fly as well as having a bigger body in that way. Had 11 touchdowns to just one drop in 2023. I'd imagine he's a first rounder. And on top of all of that, you hear all the time. And you heard yesterday, if you were tuned into the show, listening to our interview with Danny Kelly, talking about him a little bit. He He's kind of a, this is, this is kind of like a JJ McCarthy. He just wins like intangible. Not sure if it actually matters, but there's something to it. Maybe 
A.D. Mitchell is a he's just a big game player. Um, he's played in five. Yeah, make sure that I got this right. Five college football playoff games over the past three seasons. A.D. Mitchell has. He has scored a touchdown in all five of those games. So he steps up in the big moments, especially. And whether or not you think that matters, um, the fact that he didn't shy away from those big moments at the very least, I think does speak to the kind of player that he is. And I would imagine he's a first rounder as of today. I I think a lot of folks are going to have him as their wide receiver four or five in this class. Yeah, I I think so too. If not higher for that matter. He's going to uh, continue his, his elevation up boards where I think that he is one of those guys. It's going to be very frustrating if like he's there um, for the Kansas City Chiefs and, and like they pick him and it's like, how did oh, I, guys- I, I, that's where I'm mocking him right now. And I think he's the 32nd pick. The Chiefs get him and everybody is furious. It's either either him or Lad McConkey because both of those guys had great days and I could see either of them being a chief and everybody being furious that they get to play with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, yeah. And then also um, another guy here. Uh, sure. Brian Thomas it, on this. I have two guys here. Okay. One guy who I think solidified his stock today mm-hmm. in uh, the uh, first round, the first round, and uh, a guy who I think is solely now in the second round conversation. Sure. The first one also has an RAS score of nine nine seven as well. Weirdly enough, it's Brian Thomas Jr. Uh, ran a four three four today. The top of this wide receiver class um, is stupid. It, it's stupidly. I, I have my questions about the depth. The top of it is so. So the first good. six, they, it's going to be hard to rank them. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to. I think the first eight might be difficult. Um, yeah. But he's a guy who I know for sure will go in that first round. I think he could even inch up into the top fifteen if a team likes him enough. Sure. Um, but he's going there. A guy I think I, like fifteen at the Colts or fifteen at Saints or something I, like that. I, I, I saw I saw well. uh, somebody that I follow that that, that I mean, does the Colts. Our buddy Zach Hicks, we've had on the show talking about how he fits Chris Ballard's draft profile to a T wouldn't be shocked if he's the kind of guy they go in the first round. Even like if the Bengals were to trade T Higgins and try to replace him, Brian yeah. Thomas jr. Sure. Could be sure. a very big answer there. If he falls further into the draft, uh, a Buffalo bills. Would now be- that we're talking through it, I kind of think he's going to be a teens pick. Like I think top 20 is where he's going to end up. Going. If, if he does though, I, I think Buffalo runs that card up there to take him. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but he's going in the first round, a guy who I think, Really does not have a chance to go in the first round anymore. Is Troy Franklin today out of Oregon? Um, Yep, out of Oregon. He, I, I, you said it best. He's just kind of in his own head about his hands right now. I think he's a head case with with those hands. You know, he had the highest, I believe, the highest, definitely amongst. Let's just say the highest amongst these top receivers by a country mile drop rate in 2023. Something like 10 percent of his passes, his targets rather, were dropped. And today he just continued to bobble the ball and drop the ball. And I, you know, we talked with Danny Kelly yesterday on the show again about how that wasn't the case for him two seasons ago, three seasons ago. In fact, he had one of the best drop rates in the league was not dropping the ball ever. And now he's just on, he's in this rut. He can't get himself out of athletically. He's got the stuff, man, right? He's an 8.53 athlete, not the best size in the world, but ran a four, four, one 40 yard dash, nothing to sniff at. Like he's a, he's a, a strong contender from an athletic profile standpoint, but the the actual play on the field, the ability to be a sh- sure handed player and, and make plays with the ball. It, he just continues to bring it into question. Yeah, I, I would agree there too. Landon asks, uh, and this was a guy I was just going to bring up as an odds and ends guy. And I'm right. glad he really did. Cause now he has a place in the show. There How we about go. Johnny Wilson? Um, I would wide receiver, Johnny Wilson, tight, yeah. tight end, Johnny Wilson, well, mountain we'll of a man, Johnny see. Wilson. Um, yeah, personally, out of I FSU, think, by the way, I think he out of FSU. I think he made 
that case harder today because of his uh, 40-yard dash. I mean, now, he, he is, was requested to work out a tight end? Yes. Okay, just making um, sure. He is 6'6", six, six, uh, and I think three-fourths uh, at 231. Yeah. And the man ran a 4-5-3. I think before <laughs> we were going, I think we were like 4 seven, four, high 4-7s, four, four, right, yeah. 4-5-3 on his on, – yeah. Uh, on that there, I mean, the dude just continues to prove time and time again that, and I think even even at the level, it's an uphill battle for him. I, I still am not knocking that, but I think yep. it makes the discussion a little bit harder there. He was a guy who stood out to me as well, just because he, I mean, he has that speed. The get off uh, is probably the worst part of his game, one five eight ten yard split. Um, but I mean, that getting there in four five three at that size. You, you'd have to think if that he can translate well to the NFL level, you bring in that guy with the contested catch ability that mm-hmm. he can probably bring. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think he's a day two guy for sure. Uh, whether he is a late second, early third, that's yet to be determined, but I think there uh, is no way that he gets out of the third round. Yeah. A couple other guys that we, we didn't talk about today, but are, were interesting from their, from their uh, combine performance. Xavier Leggett had a pretty impressive day. He's a, he's a guy who I think his stock was absolutely in a free fall. And then today he makes himself a very interesting case. I yeah. Think. Um, I'm trying to Ryan Flournoy out of Mississippi something. Great question. Yeah. I, it's a smaller school and I can never get it right. I think it's yep. something Mississippi, but you'll look that up for me. Um, and then Malachi Corley uh, out of Western Kentucky, I believe, right? The Hilltoppers, Malachi Corley. Yes. Yes. Uh, now I'm really second guessing anything. Where'd Roman Dunes go to school? Uh, I don't know. Ryan Flournoy uh, went to Southeast Missouri. State. Southeast Missouri. Excuse me. Wrong M state. Okay. So Southeast Missouri, the proud, whatever they are. Ryan Flournoy is a product of Southeast Missouri and had a really nice day for himself. Um, any thoughts on either of those guys besides just uh, to keep in mind as potential early day three picks for the Titans? Okay, we're back. I think I think we it froze for a second there, but oh. I think we're good now. Okay, uh, but yeah, we, we were talking about uh, Ryan Flournoy, who I think in yep. the forty there um, really showed himself off there. Um, Malachi Corley is a very interesting one because there were also talks today about him uh, trying out as a running back, which I think starts to put him even more in that Debo Samuel comp kind of mm-hmm, kind of way. It'd mm-hmm. be interesting to see how teams um, w- would do that. Um, yeah, those are two guys who I think were not on my radar. There's especially now on my radar as well. Another guy, um, two guys actually, and we continue this entire discussion all week about two players on the same exact team. Uh, Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson are, are two guys. I think uh, out of the two, I think Cornelius Johnson had the better day today. Yes. Um, I think he made crazy strides, athlete, crazy uh, athlete. strides in his game today, which make it. A- are we back? Hello. I think we're back. I think we're back. All right. Uh, sorry about that. I don't know how much you missed. We had pretty much finished up everything. Yeah. Wait, um, can you just check on there? Yeah. Let me, show, let me double check on Full here. clarity. I'm pretty surprised how we made it this entire week off of hotspot. It only, it only fell apart at the very last second. Yeah. We came to our Airbnb and the internet didn't work, which we're only here to do internet shows. So we've been working on our phone hotspots this whole time. So hopefully, <clears throat> the uh, first time. Uh, Derek says, welcome back. So we're here. So I okay, guess we can keep awesome. going. Let's just keep going. I Let's guess. just keep going. Uh, Although. Well, Like I, was saying, I was Cornelius Johnson did yeah. himself in that round two. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap this up though. <laughs> but yeah, I think those are two other guys 
we're going to come back next week and we we'll have a lot more thoughts this. on these receivers. Yeah. yeah. We'll get out of here now before the internet croaks on us again. Thank you guys for tuning in live with us all week long. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a ton of fun here to Indy. We're exhausted. We're ready to be done. We're, we hope that we brought you guys some value this week covering a Titan specific angle on the combine. Make sure you subscribe to the show at Broadway sports media's YouTube page. It's very, very helpful to us. It's the number one thing you can do for us. If you want to thank us for the show that we put on, hit that subscribe button. Thank you in advance for doing that. Make sure you follow us at hot read pod on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. We a regular talking about creating the draft all these good things until then for producer jt i'm your host easton freeze this has been the hot read podcast we'll talk to you back in that time.